0: Hi, it's the hot button number 65, New Year's Resolutions 3, and now the third and final New Year's Resolution piece becomes number three of four. Alphabetic Order led me to Netflix and three full-service studios for today. That's a lot to chew on on this fifth day of January. It's a little too much, so Sony and WarnerMedia Discovery will have to wait till tomorrow. You'll also note that I haven't made any of my own personal resolutions. Well, this newsletter is my 2022 resolution. Next year, I hope to be back here again with a satchel full of stuff that I need to fix. Meanwhile, let's look at Netflix. The greatest conception of art and commerce in the history of humankind, and assured to be the greatest even after all human life has been destroyed on Earth and the Internet signals reach deep into space to a planet we have never even imagined. And the life form there has to learn human language to enjoy the shows, and they will do so, binging as God intended but will remain deeply confused by the references to other presenters that will have long been forgotten. Oh, sorry. That was Rich Greenfield's Christmas card I was reading from. Um, let me get back to mine. How do you resolve? What do you resolve for a megacorporation that has everything? Well, Netflix is well on its way to doing what they must. They launched the game itself when they came to streaming and consumer-friendly priced subscription television. So now 214 million households strong, with Q4 reporting just two weeks away, Netflix is again in the business of changing. In the non China television universe of Earth, there may be 300 million households that will pay for content in the next number of years. In spite of the fanciful dream of, dreams of Wall Street analysts who always look up, the idea of a 500 million paid household universe is not coming, at least not in a world where the last 200 million households are actually paying for the content. That's between three and five. There could be a time indeed when free access becomes a thing because selling access to even the poorest humans, some would call this colonization, is forever. Another 100 million households added likely makes Netflix a $40 billion a year revenue company. That estimate, by me, would reduce the company's ARPU, the average revenue per unit, from the current level of $1,170 per household per month down to $1,111. Not every country is as rich as America, and the countries that are not, mostly, are where the growth opportunities are right now. But Arpu is just this year's kind of endorment. They can actually shift that narrative in the next seven years. Netflix is in the last seven years, excuse me. Netflix has grown its revenues five times, remarkable, which is why Wall Street loves so, this stock so much. Apple's revenues, by comparison, have grown only 60% in that same seven years. But what separates these two businesses moving forward is that Apple can certainly continue its growth at the pace pace at which it has grown. There will be black backslides, there will be spurts in the positive direction, but unless they lose their market position, there will be growth. Netflix really can't ever expect to double its revenues from the streaming business again, ever, unless China opens, much less quintuple it in seven years. That particular magic trick just is not an option for a mature business. So gaming... So merchandise, so better IP. This may sound like an insult of some kind, but it's not. Netflix has done what Netflix does about as well as it can be done. No one else will ever do it quite like they do. Others may match their sub count or their revenue count. Netflix's ongoing success does not limit anybody else's growth, but better content is not going to make Netflix bigger, nor is more content. Expanding the world market and making the international content to every country available to every other country is my dream of what streaming should offer and it seems it actually will but as great as squid game did for instance for netflix in us in asia the next squid game will do less well because the market is getting more and more saturated every year just like it has become in america there's no room for more people to actually join netflix or very few I don't work for Netflix. I don't work against Netflix. So I don't know if some secret corner of their office has a conception of and a working pro- prototype for the entertainment atom bomb. It could be. They could have some idea that I've never even conceived of. But my belief is, and it has been publicly for at least a decade, that streaming is the new iteration of television, that people will spend a very similar amount of money each money for a- each month for access, and there will be a massive benefit to the public Because they will get access not only to what is new, but to a deep, massive worldwide library that we've never had access to before at any price, short of insanely expensive imports made by rich people only. I don't really think that expanding into areas of television that others have mastered over decades, live sports and news in particular, is really in Netflix's best interest. What they need is to make more profit on what they've mastered and lead with in this segment. Gaming, not gambling. Has always been a mercurial business. Remember when Entertainment uh, Arts, or not Entertainment Arts, yeah, Entertainment Arts, is it Entertainment Arts? Anyway, EA, it's in the game, was a lock to buy a studio that was just in two thousand five, when everybody thought that was going to happen. There's a Wired story connected in the print edition. In July two thousand seventeen, Entertainment Arts was at one hundred and eight dollars a share. A year later, they were up to one hundred and forty nine dollars a share. Share. A year later, they were down to $94 a share. A year later, they were up to $140 a share. A year after that, they were still at $140 a share, $141. So it can be a very stable business as long as there's a pandemic. But otherwise, it's up and down and up and down. You just don't know what's going to happen. There are bigger companies, but if everything in gaming was great for Netflix, if it went perfectly, would there really be more than $5 billion a year in revenue for the company? And maybe they'd net half a billion? which, by the way, is how much Disney wrote off when it failed in gaming, in spite of having the strongest IP in the world to work with. Netflix's 2022 resolution should be to pretty much do what they've been doing, just a little less. Steady revenue growth, better profitability, all the other stuff is just experimentation. And if there is magic in one of those experiments, God bless them. But we've had 20 years of that from a first paradigm shift to broadcast television, Then we went 30 years, the next major paradigm shift, giving people more control personally with cable, VHS, and then DVD. And now we're about 15 years or so into the current massive paradigm shift, aka the internet, which changed everything. Netflix, brilliant as the company has been, did not invent the DVD. They didn't invent streaming. They maximized opportunities, which were both significantly bigger shifts than just Netflix. And if there's another major paradigm shift coming in 2030 or so, I expect Netflix will be as good as anyone or better at maximizing that opportunity. But until then, I expect more hatch tightening than wild spending. Next up, Paramount and Viacom, the same company. When I first came to L.A. in the late 80s, Paramount was the studio I loved above all. It was the studio of Simpson Bruckheimer, of 48 Hours, of Beverly Hills Cop, I actually had a decent job waiting for me when I arrived on the Paramount lot, but the writer's strike ended that. And then I had an incredible access, amazingly, to top execs of the studio, and no idea what to do with it. Young, overly ambitious idiot that I was. I should have just asked for an assistant job. No. My early memories on the lot were Eddie Murphy and his crew floating around on their golf carts, Arsenio, E.T., Entertainment Night, not the uh, little creature from Spielberg. Wandering through the Trek prop rooms and set unattended, it was a fun place to hang out. Later, it was Mike Myers and company dancing through the quote-unquote London street and that first Austin Powers, lots of friends in the lot, through a couple generations of leadership. One of my most missed weekly events, the Friday night Ruth Vitale screenings. Some of my favorite people, some of my best memories. Anyway, in spite of having some of the smartest people in the industry in and out of the executive hallways of the company, the magic of the go-go 70s of Robert Evans and the singular executive breeding ground of the early 80s, which brought us people like Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg, um, had never been quite the same back at 55-55 Melrose. Sumner Redstone brought the place in 1994. Doljen and Lansing were the adults in the room for that first decade. And then the first disaster for Sumner, era, the Sumner era, Brad Gray. There were some highlights during Brad's era, but he never really got the studio running like a studio. Paramount acquired <laughs> acquired DreamWorks in his second year and essentially let DreamWorks take over. He paid a fortune, of which they managed to hide $900 million in a faux library licensing deal that they had to pay out later. And DreamWorks was out the door three years later, as soon as their contract allowed, having eaten the Paramount feel like very smart locusts. I liked a lot of the executives that filled the void that followed, some of the smartest in town, but they were always playing from behind. And three generations of execs later, they still are. Meanwhile, separated CBS Showtime was going along nicely, albeit as the leader creating content for old Americans. But then Me Too took down the strongest exec on either lot, Les Moonves. He had it coming. But any hope there was for a reunited Viacom to explode in a good way was lost, and the company tightened right back up. Viacom is the most mocked of all the now independent major content companies in the game, but much of that is approach, not the assets, which leads us to Brian Robbins. Is he the answer? Is he the visionary that will give Paramount a strong voice that can actually connect with audiences? I have no idea. Paramount Plus is getting better, but it's a step-by-step thing. Even if Paw Patrol landed Robbins the gig, Yellowstone is a much more instructive situation. The The property is the crown jewel of the moment. The outlet for the current season is the Paramount Network. The first three seasons are running on Peacock, or you can buy any of the four seasons for 1995 a pop. Watching season four of Yellowstone on the Paramount Network has been interesting. I binged the first three seasons on Peacock because I loved the first episodes of 1883, the spinoff show, on Paramount Plus, which was my entry into the entire series. There were no commercials as I binged those three seasons because I've paid for no commercials on Peacock. I've also, interestingly enough, paid for no commercials on Paramount Plus. But none of Yellowstone is on Paramount Plus. The 1936 movie of the same name is there. Nor is there any guidance even on Paramount Plus as to where to find Yellowstone. I taped the series on YouTube TV, but you can't avoid commercials there or on the Paramount Network's app, which actually requires access through YouTube TV. But the commercials on the Paramount Network app are only for Paramount shows, whereas the YouTube TV commercials play through their normal mix. So you get plenty of ads for pizza and you know, car washes. Um, the mess was created by the changing strategy of the studio over the last couple of years, but for now, which of course they've pretended is was always the same strategy, which is not true. But for now it is a mess. And the mo- very most important c- current property that Viacom has is a mess. If an interested audience has to jump through hoops to watch the show, they have a serious problem. Similarly, the South Park situation. Parker and Stone just signed a nine million six-year deal with Viacom. Its terms were reported to be six more cycles of South Park and 14 made-for-streaming movies. Now, there have been two hour-long COVID-focused shows. Is that one movie? Is it a limited series? Is it part one and part two? Will there be more on this theme, or is this it? I have no idea. Paramount's supposed to tell us these things. This is more and more appealing. There is more and more appealing content on Paramount+. Plus. But why is there a Paramount Network app, and a CBS app, and a CBS Sports app? Aren't these all the same brand? And what about Showtime OTT's app? Why does that exist still? Shouldn't this all be focused in one place? They're not there yet. The biggest positive in the eyes of a lot of people is Pluto TV, which is the ad-free, the free ad-driven platform with shows looking at about a billion dollars in ad revenues, which is very impressive, It'll likely part, be part of the long-term series of surviving options on streaming. But is it really enough to make Viacom movie star hot? I don't think so. As for the movie studio, they and COVID have backed their way into what might be a very solid year. Scream, Jackass, Sonic, Top Gun, Mission Impossible, and a Scorsese movie. There are, still even some, ti- there are some titles that have been sold off to Netflix this year also. Nobody wants to talk about those. And there are a couple of interesting non-IP movies in The Lost City and Running and Gun. And then there are more poles waiting in 2023. But there still hasn't been any signature from Robinsland. And everyone is kind of assuming that this is a temporary opportunity for a loyal, loyal soldier. VICOM's 2022 resolution should be to get to shit or get off the pot. Let me say it again. Their 2022 resolution should be to shit or get off the pot. This has been the same resolution that they should have had for a long time now, year after year. We've all been saying the same thing. Neither fish nor fowl. Make a decision. What do you want to be when you grow up Paramount? Because just lying there dead makes you look a lot like you're lying there dead. And not good for your stock, not good for your price, not good for the industry. So make a choice and move forward. And I hope Brian Robbins is the answer. I truly do. And with that, until tomorrow.